Welcome. Welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church's May 10th worship. We gather here by God's Spirit to come and to worship, and we gather by God's Spirit together, even as we worship apart from one another at this time, the Spirit unites us in Christ. And so it is good to worship. And as we begin, I just want to take a moment to share a couple announcements. Uh, first, uh, Jody's been working on some ways to have uh, members of the congregation be part of these uh, worship videos. And uh, we found an, an app that allows musicians to collaborate even when they are apart. And so we're thankful for that. And if you're interested in helping with music or with readings, uh, please let me know or we'll let Jody know. Um, we'd love to have you be part of these videos in the future. Also, we gather as those called in Christ, welcomed in Christ. And so I encourage you to take a moment, if you're worshiping with others, to pass the peace of Christ or to send a quick text or note to others uh, that you may shared Christ's peace with them this day. And also we are invited in Christ's generosity to come in his grace, knowing that he meets us where we are. And in response to that generosity, I encourage you to give. You can go to the church website. There you'll see a way to give. Give also to the Benevolence Fund. And if you have need, that's a place also to ask the deacons for support at this time. So we gather here in God's presence to worship by his spirit. So let's take a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves to worship. Now I invite you to join in the call to worship from Psalm 31 and Psalm 71. Oh, my. 
join together in our prayer of invocation. As we've done in the past, I will pray for us, but we'll also have time at the end for you to bring your own prayers and needs to God. I encourage you, if you're worshiping with others, to take a moment to even check in with each other at this time and ask how you're doing and to pray for one another. Let's pray. Lord, you have called us to worship and to come to your throne of grace. You call us, and now we turn to you in prayer, asking for your attention. We come to you asking that you listen and show us your mercy. Lord, we ask for this attention. We ask for you to listen, remembering the words of Psalm 56. You, Lord, have kept count of our tossing and turning. You put our tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? This we know, that you, Lord, are for us. In you we trust and we, sh we will not be afraid. In Christ, you, Lord God, count our tossing and turning. You gather our tears. You make note of our trouble in your book. So we turn to you in trust and in hope. Lord, we come bringing our concern and our lament as we see neighbors continue to become sick and pass away. Reports tell us that nearly 4 million cases of COVID-19 have been reported worldwide with almost 300,000 deaths. Lord, these numbers are hard to grasp, hard to comprehend the vastness. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts that we may lament and that we may grieve as those who bear your image suffer and pass away. We pray for healing for those who are sick, and we pray for comfort for those who mourn the loss of loved ones. Lord, we come to you and we, as we see reports of millions and millions filing for unemployment. We pray for those feeling anxious and worried. Please grant them your peace. For those who have lost wages, lost work, or do not have adequate health care, we pray 
that no one nor any family would face financial burdens alone. We pray for the restlessness that many of us feel, Lord, that we long to use our gifts fully and we long for the joy of productivity and accomplishment. Lord, we come to you as we watch the uncertainty and the disagreements of if and when states should reopen. May our fears and worries not deepen lines of disregard. Guard us against shutting down our empathy or our care for our neighbors. And we pray especially for those who face hate and discrimination. And we pray for those whose hurtful actions are motivated by hate. That by your spirit that they would know that you are a God of abundance who calls us to sacrificially love all of our neighbors. And Lord, we come to you and we ask that you would be with our leaders. May they be courageous and guided by your wisdom. We pray for all working in hospitals or clinics, for workers who are in essential roles to keep our communities going. We pray that you keep them healthy and keep their families healthy. We pray for the advocates and volunteers who are responding to your call to care for people who are the most vulnerable in our neighborhoods and around the world. We think especially of the Lincoln Square Friendship Center. We give you thanks for Ross and for Alex and for the many volunteers and donors who are helping neighbors who face food insecurity. Lord, give them endurance. May they be comforted and strengthened by your spirit. Lord, when we struggle to pray, Lord, as we face our anxieties or our loneliness, our lack of patience and frustration, as we struggle with the question over your concern and your interest in our lives, Lord, let us remember the incarnation of Jesus, that your care for our tears and our troubles led you to take on flesh. Descending into the ashes, you entered into our humanity your world became your world because of your great love and interest for us. Thank you that our hope is not us putting on divinity, but you, Lord, putting on flesh. Lord Jesus, you know what it means to have loss and have fear. You know what it means to be slandered or falsely accused or dismissed. You know the tears and sadness of a loved one's death, and you know what it is to be alone, to be tired to be hated, or to be shamed. And so, Lord, we turn to you. We ask that you administer to us by your Spirit and your love. Now, at this time, I invite you each to reflect on Christ's place in your life and to bring your needs and requests to God at this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The New Testament lesson is from Acts 55 through 60. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. <clears throat> the Gospel lesson today is from John chapter 14, verses 6 through 14. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. I'm thankful for a chance to worship with you and a chance to look at God's Word on this day. Uh, we are in the season of Eastertide, the season between Easter and Pentecost, and it's a time for us in the midst of our circumstances and uncertainty to reflect and dwell on the resurrection of Christ. And so our sermon series has been looking at passages about resurrection hope as a chance for us to think about what the meaning and significance of the resurrection is. Uh, for you and for me. And today we're looking at 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 58. The la these two weeks, last Sunday and today, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 15. This chapter is one of the most important parts of the scriptures telling us about Jesus' resurrection and what it means. And in our passage today, we'll hear this, this, this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Our passage speaks of the hope of Christ and the face of the enemy, death. So let's look at our passage. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42 through 58. You can just listen, or if you have a Bible, you can follow along in it. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural then the spiritual, 
The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will rise imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, we need it at all times, but especially when we feel uncertain, when we feel things shifting around us, we long for your truth. We long for the rock that you are. So Lord, we, let us turn to you this day and we pray that by your spirit, you'd help us to hear you and be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we look at this passage from 1 Corinthians 15, there's, there's a lot going on in it. We won't be able to touch on everything, but there's three questions I want us to look at as we move through the passage. The, the three questions are, what sort of a body will the resurrection produce? How is this transformation described? And what does it mean for us today? So let's start with that first question. What sort of a body will the resurrection from the dead produce? Behind this question, it's good for us to, to understand what's going on. Behind this question, Paul is being asked, why would I want to return to this body? Will I be returning to the same struggles, same brokenness, same aches and pains? When will I have rest? What sort of a body will the resurrection produce? And the answer of our passage is offered through a series of contrasts. Now, I brought along something, I brought along a little prop. It's a pack of seeds, seeds of sunflowers. It's some the children's ministry bags that were distributed. On the outside, there's a picture of a sunflower. But what's inside? What's inside this packet? Does it contain a sunflower? That's a tricky question, right? It's kinda. Inside this packet are seeds. And one day those seeds will look like the picture on this packet. And Paul is using that image of a seed in a harvest, a seed in a plant growing, to help us understand the contrast between our body now and the resurrected body. Paul uses the image of a seed in harvest. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but raised in power. 
See, these contrasts between the seed and the harvest build to the contrast between two types of bodies, our present body and the resurrected body to come. Our present body, in our passage, it's described as the natural body, is like the seed that is sown in the ground, sown in death. And the resurrected body, in our passage called the spiritual body, will be raised by God. The image of the seed in the harvest shows a continuity and a discontinuity between these two bodies. The resurrected or spiritual body will share an organic continuity with our present body, but it will also mean a radical transformation, a new and glorious condition. It's important for us to note as we think about our faith and what's being promised in the resurrection, that the contrast here between the seed and the harvest, the contrast is not between a current body and then a future kind of ghost-like or non-bodied state. The contrast is between two bodies, our current one and a future resurrected one. See, the scripture does not present the problem that we face as our body. Rather, it is sin and death which taken up residence in it, producing corruption, dishonor, and weakness. God created us with bodies in his image, so being human is good, and having a body is good. And we are to value our bodies in God's created physical world. Our flawed and decaying bodies are loved by God. And in Christ, there is the promise that they will be recreated, incorruptible, that they will be raised imperishable with glory and with power. So what sort of a body will the resurrection produce? A new transformed body that is part of God's new creation. And the second question is, how does this transformation, this new work, happen? How is it described? Well, first we can look in our passage and notice how, that, how it will not happen. Our passage says how it can't happen. Brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor the perishable inherit the imperishable. This is similar to Jesus' message to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, in which Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now what is Paul and what are Jesus saying here? What does this mean? It's a statement about our condition and about our ability or inability. What we're being invited to see here is that we cannot transform our own bodies. In this fallen world, we know weakness and we know corruption. We know decay and dishonor. We know these truths, but we cannot overcome them or make ourselves or others imperishable. We know this, right? We cannot make that which is dead alive. We cannot make that which is perishable imperishable. We know that in all sorts of ways, but we're reminded in painful and direct ways now in our current circumstances. Neighbors and loved ones sick and passing away. I mentioned in our prayer time, I mentioned again, there are recorded 
1.3 million cases and over 75,000 American deaths from COVID-19 and nearly 4 million cases and 300,000 deaths worldwide. These are just the recorded ones. And so, Lord, we lament these numbers, we, knowing that they are not simply numbers, but persons made in your image, Lord. Members of churches, neighborhoods, families, artists, creators, teachers, problem solvers, leaders, those gifted to heal or to care or to serve, parents, siblings, grandparents, friends, co-workers, sons and daughters, aunts and uncles. We're being invited to see and to know that we, the, the perishable, cannot make ourselves or others imperishable. But the foundational Christian hope is not human potential, not human enlightenment, not human control or manipulation. What we need is an action to transform our bodies, an action to defeat that which corrupts, dishonors, and kills them, an action to recreate them. And in this truth, we are reminded that hope, that resurrection at its very fundamental core is a word of radical grace, something that is done and given to those who cannot do it themselves. Our passage speaks of how it cannot happen, but it also speaks of how the transformation will occur. That's good, right? It doesn't just leave us with what can't happen, but it tells us what is going to happen. It describes it by saying, Behold, I tell you a mystery. I tell you a mystery. This fascinating word, mystery, this sacred secret, a hidden vision of the future now revealed in Christ. And this mystery is of God's great act of new creation, a future act when heaven and the kingdom of God will be unveiled in all its fullness. King Jesus will appear in glory and the risen Jesus will put all powers and all authorities under his feet and make his people and his world new. The final and full act of God is described as a trumpet blast. It will mean an instant transformation that will change our outward bodies and our inner realities. All those who have died in faith will be raised to new resurrected bodies and those alive at the time of Christ's glorious arrival will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Perishable, now imperishable. Mortal bodies, now immortal. And the main feature of this mystery, the main feature of this new creation, is that death itself will be defeated. This act of radical Gracious transformation is described personally for you and for me saying that the corruptible must be clothed in incorruptibility. The mortal must put on immortality. You see, all in Christ, we will be given a new suit of clothing. That's the image that's being offered in our passage. Given a new type of physicality, a new resurrected embodiment. As I was picturing this image, I I thought of back when I was in high school, I played sports, I played soccer and basketball, and in those sports, on days in which we had games, we were required to get dressed up. You can picture high school students, we had to wear nice clothes and a tie throughout the school day. 
I don't remember why. I'm not sure why this was required. I guess to mark it as a special day, a special event. But I recall, you know, many tried to cut corners to wear a tie with shorts or to wear jeans. I had one teammate who often wore a t-shirt with just a tie loosely around his neck. The coach would always say, no, you have to change. You have to dress nicely. Of course, social conventions do not have much to do with the kingdom of God. But in this image of a high school student going from t-shirt and shorts to dress pants, a dress shirt and a tie, we see a picture of change, of a transformation of appearance. And maybe you can imagine wearing, going from something you were wearing out in the yard or out for a run, switching to getting dressed for a great dinner or a party or a special event. See, this image of a new set of clothes invites us to think about what God is doing personally in the resurrection. Our new clothes are described as incorruptible, meaning no part can wear out or decay. They're described as immortal, meaning it cannot die. See, Jesus has defeated death, and he already has these clothes. He already has this new resurrected body now. And the promise is that all who are united to him will one day put on these clothes given by God. And we receive them not due to our status, not due to what we have done in the past or promised to do in the future. We'll receive them as a gift, an act of grace from our Heavenly Father. That he has acted for us so that we who are perishable, who are mortal, who are presently clothed in dishonor, will be not left naked or in our present rags. But in Christ, we will put on a new set of clothing that cannot wear out, that cannot corrupt, and cannot die. Interestingly, these clothes that are described, these very personal acts of grace and transformation, are connected to this image of a great feast. The image of a close lead us to the image of a feast in our passage. For when Paul begins to sing about death being swallowed up, he is quoting from Isaiah 25. In that passage, the prophet looks to the future, the, the day of the trumpet when Christ will come in glory. And the prophet writes, On this mountain, the mountain of God, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And at this feast, the Lord himself will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the shroud that is spread over all nations. The Lord will swallow up death forever, and he will wipe away tears from all faces and take away the reproach of his people. How is this transformation from our current bodies to our resurrected ones, how is it described? Like a great feast where the Lord welcomes people covered and shrouded and where the Lord himself swallows up our sorrows and death forever. And seeing this great feast, seeing those who have come to it clothed anew, it leads Paul, to sing like a warrior triumphing over a fallen enemy, Paul sings out, mocking the terrible power of death that has now become powerless before Christ. 
the terrible power tried to hold and claim Jesus, but it could not. See, Jesus was a naked, dishonored seed buried in the earth. But in God's mighty power, he raised him up and gave him a glorious and resurrected body. So in him, death is swallowed up in victory. And we see this swallowing of death on the cross of Jesus. And we see the first fruits of the great feast and his resurrection. You and I and our neighbors are facing many difficulties. And even as we can identify positives or things that we are thankful for, we're also aware of the significant pain of lost opportunities, lost work, isolation and time apart from family or friends, and most importantly, maybe aware of severe sickness and death. And what I want us to see is that the transformational language that's given here allows us space to acknowledge loss and sorrow. Resurrection allows us to acknowledge death, either our own or those that we love, to acknowledge the sober, painful and reminder of separation. But resurrection also offers us the deep hope, the deep hope that the worst thing will never be the final thing. See, this is what the clothes and what the feast all say, the transformation. In Jesus, we hold the truth that the worst thing will not be the last thing. So we've asked what sort of body will the resurrection produce, and we've asked how this transformation is described, and I want us to close with one final question. What does this mean for us today? What does it mean for us today? As we hear this or we think about faith We might be tempted at times to say that this world doesn't really matter. If we're going to heaven, if we're trying to follow Jesus, the man of heaven, then why does this life or world matter? But I want us to see our passage makes the opposite conclusion. It makes the opposite conclusion. Our future hope and our present responsibilities are linked What we do in the present time with our bodies and with this world matters. Do you see how Paul concludes this chapter all about the resurrection hope? He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul redirects our attention to the present directs our attention to daily tasks and calls us to be steadfast. Paul points out that why there is a transformation from our current bodies to the resurrection one, there is also a continuity. There's an underlying continuity between our present life and the future one. And this gives meaning. It gives meaning to our present choices, our present use of resources, our present approach to our relationships. Recently, I saw a one-panel cartoon. I'm enjoying cartoons lately. Humor is very helpful <laughs> during this time. But in this one-panel cartoon, there was a drawing of a knight sitting on a couch. He was dressed in his armor, had a sword in hand, looking very fierce. But this knight sitting on the couch was participating in a Zoom meeting. He's on his couch looking at his laptop. In addition to him, there's three other squares in the Zoom meeting. There's the princess, the horse, and the dragon. 
all four of them joining together in their Zoom call. Even in the current disruption, this knight's identity, his story, continues. And I like that cartoon because it's the same for you and for me. Even in disruption, or even as we wait in our current circumstances, even as we wait for the full hope of the resurrection to arrive, we're being invited to remember our identities, to practice hope, to remember the story that we are part of in Christ, who we are and who we are participating with. See, our faith is personal and speaks deeply to our inner lives, but it's not just personal. The gospel is the announcement that God is Lord, and one day all the powers that oppose him will be put down and he will fully remake his world and his people. And so trusting this proclamation, we're invited to join him, to participate in his kingdom now, even when it is hidden or even when it sets us in opposite direction from those around us. And as we do so, as we participate, our labor, our Christian work is not in vain. Remember, if Christ had not been raised, our faith in the Christian message is in vain. It is empty, useless. If Christ experienced our sin and death but did not overcome them, if He bore our humanity but did not defeat our enemies, then the final word of our lives, the final word in this world remains evil and hate and sin and death. The worst thing will be the final thing. But we gather and we remember and we proclaim, but in fact, Christ did rise. Christ did rise from the dead. And in Christ's victory over sin and over the law that condemns and over the sting of death, we know that our faith and our sacrifices, our generous love of even our enemies, our putting to death, our selfishness, all these things are not in vain. For we are participating in the one who has overcome. We're entrusting our path and our life to the one who has overcome. We're participating We're practicing hope now. We're living in light of Christ's risen body, trusting that the feast has begun in Him and that we are those who belong to Him, the man of heaven. This is the good news. So let us live as those seeking to bear His image today and all the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. We thank you that you're with us. And we pray, Lord, that you would grant us by your spirit encouragement and the hope and the resurrection. But also, Lord, in the present, that you'd help us to walk according to your kingdom and your ways, your hope, not the kingdom of this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
The serpent that hurts and destroys shall be killed, and all that is broken be healed. For I am with you, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you, for I have called you, called you by name. Hi, this is Ross from the Friendship Center updating you on what we're doing to respond to the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, about a third of Chicago food pantries have had to close in the last couple of months. Uh, so we are seeing increased demand uh, both from taking on people from other neighborhoods. We've pretty much taken uh, out our geographical restrictions and we're serving everybody. Uh, also a lot of new people uh, who just need help because they've been laid off from their jobs and of course our regular clients. So we're seeing about double to triple on any given week what we would usually do. Um, and uh, we're doing our best to respond to that uh, by pre-bagging groceries. Um, we have uh, volunteers in here in masks and gloves and uh, we're doing everything that we can to get everything pre-bagged and ready and get as many people through the line uh, and with groceries every week as we can. Um, and we're doing our best to meet that demand. Current need items right now, um, we need grocery bags because we're pre-bagging everything. Uh, we need soaps because we're giving those out to clients. Um, we often need diapers, we often need uh, formula, um, and um, those are really the biggest ones right now, but also keep track of us uh, at uh, friendshipcenterchicago.org to find out what's going on week to week. Thank you for being a Now receive God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Amen.